Hi, thanks so much for joining our women's Bible study video. My name is Stephanie Schwartz. I'm the director of women's ministry at Compass Bible Church. And in our Bible study, we're currently studying through the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Uh, we happen to be at 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 this week, verses 6 through 12. And our teacher is my very good friend, Ashley Corrado. Um, Ashley is an amazing servant here at Compass Bible Church. She serves in our Navigating Motherhood ministry and has for many years. She actually directs the teachers in our Navigating Motherhood ministry. She serves as an MC for us. She's emceed big events for us like our women's retreat and our annual spring teas. And she's also a great teacher of God's word. Uh, I would ask you to prepare your heart right now as you get to hear from God through his word by the teaching of Ashley. When you were a kid, I'm sure you remember your parents asking you time and again to go and clean your room. And if you're a parent now, I'm sure you've given this command many times to your own children within your own home. Well, I have three boys and two of which share a room. And so I at one point told them their the room was an absolute disaster. I told them to go upstairs and clean their room. But when I came up to check on it, I realized that their version of clean and my version of clean were extremely different. In fact, they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. So I realized this was a time that we're gonna have to sit down and kind of work on some training on what it looked like to clean a room. I sat them down on the bed and I actually had them watch me clean their room, which they liked a lot because they weren't having to do the work. But as I cleaned their room, I was talking to them and instructing them on what it looks like and what they should be doing and the order of things. And then we made a little checklist for the wall so that in the future they could refer back to that checklist of all the things they needed to do when they cleaned their room. And so the next time I asked them to go clean their room, they were off on their own and it got a little better, but it did come to my attention that one of my sons, who I will remain nameless, uh, he was not pulling his weight. He was not actually cleaning the room. His brother was doing it all while he was playing with things, kicking things around, throwing things around, but doing everything but cleaning the room. So I pulled him aside and let him know that this was unacceptable and that the next time he must pull his weight, he must do what I've asked him to do. Well, another time came around when that room got to be messy enough that it needed to be cleaned and I asked them to go up and clean their room and unfortunately, again, this same child chose to be disobedient and to not clean the room and was playing with things and such. So a consequence ensued because he had not followed uh, what I had directed him to do and that he had clearly agreed to do. Well, much like the room cleaning experience with my sons, Paul in our text today is addressing an area of disobedience with the Thessalonians. And we will see how in typical Apostle Paul fashion, he is quick to point out sin, but he's also very diligent to give them a solution that will, will draw them to repentance in hopes that they will be following Christ again soon. And we can also do this for our sisters as well. So let's dive into our text today. We're going to be reading 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 12. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. 
but with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Well, we're nearing the end of the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we've studied 1 Thessalonians, and we've seen a lot of Paul praising the Thessalonians up until now. He has praised them for their steadfastness and their faith under persecution. He has praised them for their love for one another and for him. And yet now we see kind of this change of tone in this letter. He says, he starts out again, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. This command is accentuated with that, that uh, phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is coming to them, making this command not only in his own authority, but also in the authority of the Lord. And this was not the way Paul always gave a command. This was to really accentuate this, to give it utmost importance. So for the people listening to this letter, their, their ears should have perked up. They should have realized, wow, he's about to say something that we really need to listen to. He says that there are people walking in idleness. And uh, there were people, basically, that had come to his attention that were not working, that were um, just fooling around, they weren't earning their own living, and because of that, they were having to depend on others for food and, and many provisions, which was just unacceptable. And we hear that word idleness, and in our vocabulary, we probably immediately go to laziness, the sluggard, right? We think of that person sitting on the couch with a bag of Doritos, binge-watching binge Netflix, and, and just being a couch potato, which is true of the word idleness. But in this translation, it's actually translated unruly, disorderly, and irresponsibly. And so you remember Paul says they're walking in idleness. So they weren't sitting around. They were actually up and about doing things. They were just doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing and not doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. They could work. They truly were physically able. They were not disabled, but they were choosing not to work. And unfortunately, this isn't the first warning or time that this has been brought up to the Thessalonians. We, we saw this first in, in the first book and uh, verses, um, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 through 12. It said, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And he even writes in our passage today about giving them a verbal command when he was with them. In verse 10 of our passage today, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then he had gone even further by setting a clear example for them to follow while he was with them. And, and that's detailed in our, in our passage today in verses seven through nine. So really at this point, there's no excuse, no excuse for anyone to be living idly and not working to provide for themselves. And so for that reason, he's giving this command to keep away from such people. This was a form of public shaming. 
This was kind of putting them on the outskirts. It's like saying someone saying to you, you know what, you, you can't come to home fellowship group, fellowship group tonight, or we can't have you this week at, at your Bible study, uh, small group. That would really kind of hit you, right? Well, that's what this was. It was a form of public shaming, but it wasn't for the sake of shaming. It actually was for the benefit of the person who was not walking in the tradition that they had been taught. The goal was that in this shaming, that they would miss the fellowship, that they would miss being around their church body and being a part of the body of Christ, so much so that they would repent and get back into following Christ. That was the goal of this tactic. We see Paul's boldness here in calling out sin as sin. And out of love for the Thessalonians, he just does not want to let it go unaddressed. Well, before we ever get to the point of having to keep away from another sister in Christ, I hope we would first use a gentle approach like we see in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Paul knows that confronting another about sin is not an easy thing to do, but we, we must do it. We, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, and for that reason, it takes courage. So point number one on your outline is courageously call out sin. Courageously call out sin. Well, no matter how gentle we are, uh, pointing out sin in another person's life, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for them. It doesn't feel good for us. Uh, it is just really uncomfortable overall. And truth be told, most of us would probably rather just sit back and hope that she realizes it on her own or hope that somebody else comes along and, and points it out to her, right? But if we love our friend, we will be the ones to do it. We will muster up that courage and get out of our comfort zones and have the tough conversations in hope that it will bring her to repentance and back in line with following Christ. You know, I've read uh, the book Pilgrim's Progress to my children, the, the youth version to my children, a couple times now. It's one of their favorite books. If you haven't read it, it's an allegory story about basically the Christian walk, the Christian journey, which ends in heaven, which is signified as the celestial city in the book. And Christian, the main character in the book, he is on the path to the celestial city. And many people that come up to him that are trying to help him on the path, they all give him this one command. They say, stay on the path. Just stay on the path. Stay on the path. He hears it over and over again. And yet there's many temptations for him to step off the path. Many. And some of them he walks by, but some he doesn't. And he gets off the path many times. And unfortunately, there's a consequence each and every time he strays from the path. But what he does do is he repents and he comes back to the good path where it's safe, where it's good. The good path is a harder path. The bad path is usually the easier path, but it's the safer path. And I love this imagery that this book kind of illustrates for us. And I've used it with my kids many times. I use it in our everyday language. When I start to see them start to stray, you know, a bad attitude, or I can tell they're just going to make a bad decision, a bad choice, I might say, hey, you're, um, you're headed down a bad path right now. Get back on the good path. Get back on the good path. We use this language a lot in our house, and I think it could be useful at any time, really, because we don't want to see anyone um, have to have bad consequences for straying away. So how do we women stray from the path? How do we stray from the tradition that we have been taught? Um, I think there's many ways that women can do this that um, 
that we struggle with and that we have to be aware of. And God has given women specific commands that he expects us to obey. Uh, one, if you're married, a big one, is submission to husbands. Uh, we are told that we must submit to our husbands. We must fall under his leadership, yield to his leadership. We know in that in Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And our temptation is always to find a loophole or a reason why we shouldn't have to submit to our husbands, right? Well, oh, this situation, it couldn't be a time when I have to submit, or you don't know my husband, right? But God knows our sinful hearts and selfish hearts. And just two verses later in Ephesians 5, he, he backs this up once more. In Ephesians 5, 24, it says, So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So loophole closed there, right? We are to submit to everything. We need to follow this command. And if your sister in Christ is confiding in you that there is something her husband's asking her to do and she just doesn't want to do it, she doesn't feel like it, or she has a ton of reasons, which are really excuses, as to why she can't do it, then you as a loving friend need to point her to the truth and that she needs to submit to her husband. We live in Orange County, and we're, if you're a mother, you're raising children in this modern age, and we're told that our kids should, be, should come first. They should be the center. And that if we don't put our kids first, that they will suffer, that they won't feel loved. But we know that God's Word says something different, don't we? We know that the order of things in a family should be God first, husband second, and children third. So if we're witnessing a friend who's putting her children maybe above her husband and definitely above God, then that's something that we need to address with them. Because if it's a child-centered home, there's no way it can be a Christ-centered home because there's only one center, right? Well, our words as women, we speak many of them and they can get us into a lot of trouble. Trouble like gossiping. When we are talking about someone behind their back, if we're in a conversation like that and the conversation turns to gossiping, let's be courageous to point it out right away. Don't let it slide. Point it out right as, right as it starts so it cannot continue and that we ourselves don't fall into it. Or what about complaining, right? Having that complaining attitude, uh, never satisfied with our circumstances, or you're talking to a friend and she's just complaining about her husband, complaining about her kids, complaining about work or church, and you walk away from the discussion and ask yourself, did we talk about anything positive, right? Well, we know complaining is just a form of ingratitude towards God, and we need to stop it. So mentioning that to a friend will be very helpful. And lastly, as we were talking about idleness in this, in this passage today, the meaning that we're most familiar with, laziness. You know, we women, especially the women I know I'm talking to right now, I don't think would be characterized as lazy, but we can fall into lazy patterns at, time, at times, and it would be helpful if someone could point, those, point that out, right? Um, we have these roles that we've been given, and we need to live up to them the best of our capabilities. But there's distractions and time wasters out there that can rob us of our time, and we can be tempted to choose that easy way instead of the hard things that we have to do, the things that we don't want to do with our day. Uh, things like social media, I think it goes without saying, TV, and uh, something that's kind of a new thing is me time, having that me time. Well. 
these things, if managed, aren't bad things on their own. And, uh, but when we see them take over in a woman's life, when we see them take over in that she's not doing her quiet time anymore, or as consistently, or her prayer life is suffering, or her house has started to suffer, her housework, or maybe she's not doing all the things her husband is asking her to do because she's spending time uh, doing other things, then that's when this becomes a problem. And I can't help but think of the Proverbs 31 woman and how purposeful and diligent she was in all she did. She set such an excellent example for us. And in Proverbs 31, 27, it says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So let's not let our sister in Christ take a bite either, and us too. Well, we know what God's word says, right? We know what it says about these things. And if we're going to be courageous and diligent to point these things out in another's life, we need to know what it says about these issues. We cannot rely on our own wisdom or worldly wisdom to walk a friend through something like this. If you've been watching Pastor Mike's morning devotionals, you've seen his one another's that he's giving every morning. He's giving, he's citing a scripture that mentions a one another, it's something we do or say to one another, um, and it's been super helpful. I, I, one that stuck out to me was Colossians 3.16. He mentioned this a few weeks ago, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then Pastor Mike said this, that really, it caught my attention. He said, we really need to know the person, know what we are dealing with, and we need to know the Word of God. I mean, really, that's it, right? How helpful is that? Well, let's say we are courageous and we point this out, and the response is not good. The response is not repentance. Maybe it's anger. Uh, maybe it's just full-on denial. Well, what do we do then? Where, where are we at, right? Well, our verse today, verse 6, tells us that we are to keep away from that sister. We are to distance ourselves from her, as Paul is commanding. Again, he says, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in, and you can substitute idleness or any other sin here, and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Well, we need to pray that they would be drawn to repentance, that, that this woman would be drawn to repentance. And our hope should be that it, it doesn't get to this, this point, that she is drawn back just with a gentle and loving rebuke. Well, while our passage starts out with this kind of jolting, kind of negative command, Paul mentions one of the reasons why this behavior is so unacceptable. And that's because the right behavior had been clearly demonstrated for the Thessalonians. So let's read verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give in our, you in ourselves an example to imitate. Well, we know any example Paul sets is an example worthy of following because he is following the best example there is, right? He's following Christ. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If you were to join a game of follow the leader, this is the line you want to be in. You want to be in this line because you know the example is going to be the best. 
Well, holiness is a top priority in Paul's life, and he pursued it by imitating Christ in all he did. And therefore, again, his example was a good one. And it was also sacrificial, right? Since Paul and Timothy were apostles, they could have come into town of Thessalonica, and they could have stayed at someone's house for free. They probably could have gotten their meals. That person probably would have been so happy to have them in their home and honored to have them in their home because, in a way, they were guests of honor. They were apostles. Um, but we see in verse 9, it says, It was not because we do not have that right, meaning the right to come and not work and, and earn our keep, but to give you in ourselves an example. So Paul and Timothy come into town and they sacrifice their rights. They sacrifice comforts to work, to pay and earn their keep, just to set an example, just to set an example for the Thessalonians in holy living. How sacrificial and what a wonderful example that is, especially of imitating Christ, right? Who we know stepped down from his throne in heaven to put on human form to come and live that perfect life for us. Well, Paul describes the work he and Timothy had done while they were with him. And it sounds like they worked pretty hard, as the title of our teaching is today. It says, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Well, these words, toil and labor, these are not describing just, you know, medial tasks around the house. These, we know the word labor in our language today, it's assigned to childbirth, which if any of you have gone through that, know that that is really hard work. So they are talking about things that are probably um, hard, true labor, manual labor that they did while they were with the Thessalonians. They were doing more than just taking their dish up to the sink after dinner for their host, right? And they also said that they work night and day, which gives us the idea that the work rarely, if ever, stopped. They worked long, long hours. So they set a great example for the Thessalonians. Paul is able to point out this sin of idleness with confidence because he is walking the walk. He's asking them to walk. He has set an example worth imitating, and we need to do the same. So point two is consistently set a good example. Consistently set a good example. So before we muster up that courage to go and talk to our sister about something we've maybe been noticing in their life, we need to check ourselves we need to look at our own lives and make sure that we've been living up to the standard that we're about to set for another. Because if we're not, the Bible says we're hypocrites. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. I love this passage. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I've just always loved the visual you get in this passage. I just picture this guy walking around with a log, like maybe out of a fire, um, sticking out of his eye. Some of the translations say plank, so you can picture a flat board. Just walking around, it's just absurd, right? How could he see anything? And that's what Jesus... Jesus is saying here, he's saying you have to take the log out first and then you will see clearly to take out the speck of your brother's eye. Well, we must be sure our example meets the standard that we are about to set our sister to. I'm sure you've heard the saying, do as I say, not as I do, 
right? And as soon as I said that, I'm sure someone, you guys all thought of somebody you know that sets that example, somebody who can give all kinds of commands and demands, but they would never do any of this themselves. Perhaps you've uh, worked for a boss like that at some point in time. Well, Jesus refers to the scribes and the Pharisees in this way. Uh, in Matthew 24, verses 2 through 4, he says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you. He's telling them to do what, do what they're telling you to do. What they're telling you to do is great. Do it. But not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, <clears throat> and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You see, our rebuke is going to be far less effective if we are not practicing what we preach. And one of the best examples I can think of of this is actually my husband. He owns his own business, and he, uh, a few years ago, expanded and had to get a big warehouse where he was going to have a giant label press put in. And with this comes a lot of liquids. There's inks and all kinds of liquid things that inevitably would be spilling on the floor from time to time. So before any of that equipment got in, he wanted to seal the concrete floor. He wanted to put that shiny... Um, sealant on it so that it could be wiped away clean very easily and things would not seep into the concrete. And my husband doesn't like to uh, pay out this type of work often, so he watched a few YouTube videos and, and he got the uh, equipment already. And then he actually asked his very new employee to help him over the weekend and do this over the weekend. And so the employee said he would. And they had gas masks on and rubber boots because this stuff was highly toxic. And it was backbreaking work. They were bent over with these, um, these tools, just leveling the stuff and making sure it got into every nook and cranny. And it took all weekend. And when I got to meet this new employee a few weeks later, the first thing I did was I thanked him for doing that with my husband, for helping him with that. And he said this, he said, wow, that was some of the hardest work I've ever done. And there was times I wanted to just give up and walk out of there. I was like, forget this. But I looked over at your husband, he's the CEO and president of this company, and he was bent over wearing a gas mask and the rubber boots and shoveling this stuff all over. And I thought, I gotta keep going. He says, I just, I have the utmost respect for him. And you know, my husband as a boss is, he's a, he's a tough boss. He really, really asks a lot of his employees, but he gets it most of the time because he has set such a good example. They know that anything he would ask of them he would do himself. Absolutely. Well, if we're going to be confronting a friend, let's say about her submission to her husband, that example we gave earlier, then we need to be able to look at our own marriages and see recent and past times where we have willingly yielded to our husband's leadership. Our marriage cannot be categorized by us wearing the pants. So we cannot even approach her before we know that that is the truth, right? Or what about a child-centered home? You're gonna you know, approach a friend about how much attention she's giving her child over God, over her husband, over other things. Well, if our home isn't a Christ-centered home, we can't even begin to go and approach her about this. We're gonna have to clean up our own house first, get that log out of our eye first before we even approach her. We need to set that good example for her to follow if we're gonna be approaching her about this. So let's hold up that mirror and just be confident that our eye, <clears throat> that there's no log in our eye and set that good example. 
Well, some of you might be thinking right now, like, I've totally blown it. There's just areas that my example has been horrible, whatever it may be. You know, how do I even fix this? I've, it's, it's out there, right? Well, thankfully, we serve a God who is in the business of fixing people. That's what he wants to do. He wants to see you be more like Christ. So pick an area. Start small, whatever is the most important you think at this time, and start working on it. But first, go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Confess this area in your life. He's waiting for you. He knows about it. He's just waiting for you to come in humility and talk to him about it. And he will be faithful to help you overcome it and grow to be a better example in whatever area it is. Secondly, get accountability. You know, let's say you, you find that you are maybe a negative person, a complainer. You know, the people that you hang out with most, talk to most, reach out to them and say, listen, if we're hanging out and I start going down that negative path, will you stop me? Will you just say stop? You're going down a negative path and ask them for their help. They can do this. They'll want to do this. And thirdly, police your thoughts. Okay, God knows your thoughts, uh, but your friends don't. They can't get inside your head. So there's some personal responsibility when it comes to our thoughts. And the way we can do this is to find that scripture that really speaks to what we're wanting to change about us, that antidote to what we're facing, right? The thing that's going to help us, help cure us of whatever it is that we are struggling with. So go and find that scripture. Put it everywhere. Let it be your 911 call when you find your thoughts headed down that path. And you could really apply this to any areas that need work. So let's make it a goal, ladies. Let's make it a goal to live our lives so that they are worthy of imitating. And let's make it a goal to set good examples so that God can use us in the lives of others. Well, the Thessalonians were a group of new believers, as we know. They were baby Christians. And Paul loves them so much. And he has expressed this time and again in his two letters to them. And we have seen in our passages, passages today that Paul loves them enough to just keep addressing this issue with them because he wants to see it gone from their midst. And in our section today, we see him address the ones walking in idleness directly in verses 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Most scholars say that this, this letter was read publicly. It wasn't something that was passed around, but it was read to a group of people. So you can imagine if you were one of the people who had been idle, that uncomfortable spotlight probably shining down on you at that moment. And Paul uses this word, busybodies to describe some of the Thessalonians and how they've been behaving. And this word means that it, people that not only neglect to do what they're supposed to do, but they spend time meddling in the business of others. And I can't think of a, a better example of a busybody. As I was studying the word busybody, this person immediately came to mind, a character from a beloved TV show that I used to watch as a kid. It's also a series of books, Little House on the Prairie, if you've ever watched the show. You might remember the general store downtown, and there was a husband and wife that owned it, and Harriet Olson was the wife, and she was often seen behind the counter at the general store where everyone came to get all of their needs. And at first glance, Harriet seemed like a very hard worker. She was doing all kinds of transactions. She was placing orders for people. 
all good. But really, if you continue to watch the show, you'll see that she spends far more time gossiping about people and meddling in everyone's business in the town. She knows what's going on with everybody, and she has her hands in it. She is a busybody. She also is quite pride, and pride, she's full of pride, she's prideful. She thinks of herself as, as better than others. She thinks she's kind of on this uh, higher stature than others and looks down on others in the town. So the, the word humility would not be assigned to Harriet Olson. Well, Paul tells us at the end of this, of the end of this passage today to work quietly, work quietly. And that's really another way to say that we need to work with humility. So point number three is commit to a humble lifestyle. Commit to a humble lifestyle. He says in verse 12 again, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So while this command was directed toward the idle people in Thessalonica, I believe the work quietly phrase can really be applied and applicable for everyone. Because even the hardworking in a group of people can at times do their work or set an example, and they can do it with noise. So what do I mean by this? Um, when we are living out our roles that we've been given by God, are we doing it with humility? We need to ask ourselves, are we doing it with humility? If we're to set a good example, we need to commit to a humble lifestyle in all we do. And so what we can't do is we cannot be boastful. So we can't be setting this great example and then kind of bragging about our example or puffing our chest and giving ourselves credit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So any boasting we do needs to be in what the Lord is doing, not what we are doing. Keep our eyes off of ourselves and back on God. We cannot be martyrs, and women fall into this quite often, right? We do so much, we're, we are so busy with so many things, and quite often we want to let people know how we're constantly sacrificing for others, whether it be our family or at work or our church. Um, we want to tell others how much we're sacrificing, which seems harmless, but it's, again, it's drawing the attention to us. That is the opposite of humble, opposite of humble. So I think of Martha and Mary, when I think of this in the lesson that Martha learned in that passage in Luke 10. And Martha and Mary are, have Jesus over, talk about a guest of honor, in their home. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he has to say. And Martha's in the kitchen, very busy, preparing a meal. And she comes out very flustered. And she tells Jesus all that she's doing and how, and then demands how she wants, she wants him to have her sister come and help her. And surely her expectation was that he was going to turn around and say something like, Oh, Martha, you're so amazing. Thank you for working so hard. Sure, I'll send Mary in right away. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus says. He looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Let's not be anxious and troubled about many things and draw attention to ourselves. We also need to have an attitude of joy as we work and set examples for others. Because it's never a good example if we're doing it with a bad attitude, right? If you're a mom, you know this. If you tell your kid to do something and they do it with a bad attitude, are they really obeying? Are they really with a joyful heart? No, it has to be a complete package. We must do everything with a joyful heart. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We need to be characterized by joy. And I know right now where we're at 
it can be hard. We're all stuck at home. We miss church. We miss one another. But we still need to be characterized by joy and the things that are happening, even amidst this crisis, that are good. I know for me, um, I've seen my kids just grow in character over this time. For one thing, they've made great strides in cleaning their room because <laughs> it's getting messy quite more often since we're home more often, but they've made great strides in sticking to that list and cleaning their room. And my one son, the one who still will not be named, uh, who was refusing to clean the room, I have to report that he has grown heads and tails in obedience and humility in this time because we've been able to spend time talking about that good path and the bad path and how we're so tempted to, to get off the good path onto the bad path because it seems easier. But the harder path is the one that's what's best for us. And I'm really seeing him respond to that. And I've also been able to look at my own example I've been setting for my children and for others. And God has been faithful to point out those blind spots that I didn't know about. And I think we've all grown more humble in this time because uh, our lives have just become more humble as many things have been stripped from us. Well, a Christian life is hard work. It never really stops, right? Just like our passage today, we will toil and labor night and day. And oftentimes we think we may reach a peak just to find out that there's another peak on the other side. And to the world, this might be discouraging, but to us, it shouldn't be. Because with every step we're taking, we are growing in holiness and we're growing closer to Christ. And as we do this together, on our journey together, we can help each other to grow more like Christ as well. So let's walk this path we've so graciously been placed on with joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this book of Second Thessalonians and all we have learned from it. Lord, I just thank you how you have led us on a path of holiness and how to do that through the examples that Paul and Timothy have given and through the strides that the Thessalonians have made. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be hard workers in all we do and work hard to set the best examples we possibly can to anyone who is watching, Lord. I pray we'll be courageous to call out sin and live lives of humility that is pleasing to you. Lord, I pray as we almost wrap up this study in the next few weeks that we can all look back on this book and be so grateful for the lessons learned and the strides that we have taken in, in growing more holy and close to Christ and have more hope. In Jesus' name, amen.